It sounds a little weird, but being the host of a show like Dinners on Me, where you eat out all the time, can be a little stressful on the body. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a little sluggish and I wanted to make sure I was getting the daily nutrients that I needed. Since drinking AG1 daily, I feel real difference with my energy levels and my ability to focus. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. I recommend AG1 to all my family and friends because it's formulated based on the latest science and maintains high-quality standards. Even Justin has started drinking AG1, and he tells me that it really helps his energy level, helps with stress, helps his gut health, all that good stuff. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1. And that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner to the Dinners on Me podcast. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free free AG1 travel packets with your first purchase at drinkag1.com slash dinner. That's drinkag1.com slash dinner. Check it out. This episode of Dinners on Me was recorded on June 13th, 2023. Hi, it's Jesse. Today on the show, the star of Justified, The Americans, and Cocaine Bear, the legendary Margot Martindale. We'll talk about her doing puppetry at a maximum security prison when she was 16, moonlighting as a private investigator during her early acting career, and why it makes total sense that she originated the role of Truvy in Steel Magnolias because she feels very at home in a hair salon. I was a beauty operator, and I would cut all the kids in the neighborhood's hair. Amazing. And send them home to their parents and just screaming like, what You would that? actually cut their hair? Oh, yeah. This is Dinners on Me, and I'm your host, Jesse Tyler Ferguson. I remember the moment that I heard that Marga Martindale was going to be the actress playing Ranger Liz, the character opposite of mine in the film Cocaine Bear. I recall being filled with excitement and nerves, but mostly I remember thinking, oh, this movie isn't just a joke. Margot Martindale is game for this. It completely changed the way I approached the job. She is so wildly respected amongst actors. Working opposite of her on Cocaine Bear was uh, such a blast. She's a consummate professional, yes, but she's also game for a good time, and, and that desire to have fun extends way beyond the time on set. I had quite a few hangovers to blame Margot for. I feel so lucky that I not only got to work with this woman who I so deeply admire, but that I can now call her a genuine friend. Few people make me laugh harder than Margot does, and I have never not had a good time with her. So I was very excited to steal her away for a meal. Hi! I asked Margot to join me at Marea, just off of Columbus Circle. Marea is known for its Italian seafood and its amazing location right off of Central Park. It's a white tablecloth type of place. It's very classy. But, you know, Margot is a classic New York City broad. She's been here 40 years. So I knew I needed to roll out the red carpet for her and, of course, have some wine ready. You get a drink. I'm not going to have alcohol with you because if I do this and I drink, I will not be. <laughs> it's, it's okay. 
But I want you to have I one. Can, I was like, Margo's going to be so disappointed I that I'm not drinking with her. I'm not. I'm not disappointed at all. <laughs> have one for me. Oh, they already know. Just a little champagne to start. Uh, yeah, I think so. Did you order that coming in? No, I was asked, but I like that. I said, <gasps> of course. Said, yes, it sounds wonderful. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I thought you like called ahead. Oh, you just called it. Please, <laughs> yeah. Get me a drink. Yeah. The moment I get there. Have it poured and ready. Oh, uh, I get a mocktail. Oh, I get something. Good. Cheers. Cheers, honey. Great seeing you. So good to see you. Wait, Maria. have you been here before? Oh yeah, yeah many yeah, times. Okay. I was thinking. I haven't seen you since the premiere of Cocaine Bear. Really? Were you in that? I was in that. (laughs) That's actually where I want to start. But I remember being so excited that I was going to be working with you and Carrie. Like, you were my only scene partners. Because I was just such a massive fan of the Americans. I mean, I it's on my Instagram, but I took a photo of of the first day we all worked together. I was like, I, I have to document this moment. Didn't even know you two. And I was so... So honored to get to do that with you. I don't think I've ever had that much fun. Me either. I told Justin, he was like, how's it going? I was like, I only want to shoot cocaine bear for the rest of my life. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. And somebody called me the other day and said, I don't know if this embarrasses you or not, but... We watched Cocaine Bear, and we, I said, embarrasses me. Yeah. I think it's one of the greatest things yeah. I've ever done. <laughs> I know. I know. Agreed. I, I did have it. some family members who, like, watched and didn't get it. It was just not their cup of tea. I was like, it's not for everyone, for sure. It's not for everyone. Talk to me a little bit about what <laughs> went through your head, because I've told my version of the story, but, like, what went through your head when, when Liz called and asked if you do this? Well, Liz called and asked me if, if we could have dinner. Okay. You had met during Miss America. Uh, Mrs. America. Mrs. America, yeah. yeah. I said, oh, sure, I'd love to. And she said, well, I'll come to Connecticut and have dinner with you. So she came. She told me all about this movie, mm-hmm. never saying she wanted me to be in it. Okay. And I thought, oh, well, that just sounds great. I, I, great. She you was know. buttering you up? I don't know what she was doing, but she wasn't saying, oh, come and do it. Yeah. And yeah. then um, my agent called me. I said, I had dinner with uh, Elizabeth Banks last night. And he said, did she mention Cocaine Bear? And I said, well, she talked all about it. <laughs> I said, but she didn't mention anything about me in Cocaine Bear. And he said, that's so strange. Anyway. So he had already he already He, knew he already that. knew that she was interested, but... Th- that they didn't know. Are you sure she didn't say something to you? I swear. (laughs) Oh, uh, maybe she said something. I don't think there's enough money or something like that. Right, right, yeah. She did lead with that. She's like, it's low budget. So Um, what? We're spending all the money on the bear, yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. When you actually were, though, there in Ireland, putting on that outfit, going through the stunts, we both did a lot of our own stunts. I mean, we had stunt doubles. I have such great behind the scenes of you and I doing a stunt where we are both ratcheted off. You know, the camera sort of zooms in on both of us, and then my character's ratcheted off, and then yours goes off next. <laughs> Mine and, goes off on, on Mr. Rogers' Railroad. Right. Like a trolley car like, on, on Mr. some sort of children's <laughs> show. Kinda. And and, 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 your, I, and your job was to sell that you were being ratcheted and off. I, and I did it backwards. And when I looked up, everybody in the crew and cast were on the ground laughing. It, w- it te- was tears of joy. That was probably like one of the best memories for that entire shoot. Watching Margot do this stunt and 
we were put in such incredibly weird scenarios. I mean, crawling around with bushes and the bear had mauled you and had taken a, a chunk out of your ass. And like, you were just so game. And I was like, well, if Margo's game, I'm game too. I was I game, think, but I said to Elizabeth at one point, I looked up at her and I said, you didn't tell me I would be crawling around on the ground like this. And she said, you read the script. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, I thought it would be somebody else, not me. And you did have a stunt double, but you know, you did a lot of your own stuff. Hello. Hello. Hi. I was thinking maybe we should look at the menu. Let's look at the menu. What are you most known for? So the crudos, the two appetizers that I mentioned, and then the one dish that we are most famous for is the fusilli. Fusilli pasta with the braised octopus and the bone marrow. Wow, that's that sounds our, so that's rich. Our, wow. But then if you like uh, the, the halibut on the menu is fantastic. Yeah, I was actually it's just eyeing that halibut. Delicious. Just for the hell of it. Yeah, just for the hell of it. Halibut for the hell of it. Would you have some crudo if I got some? Sure. The yellowfin tuna? Yes. That's what I was eyeing. Yeah. Let's do that. And then for my main, I think I'm going to do the halibut. I think I'll do the scampi. Scampi. Perfect. Scampi, scampi. Grazie. All right. Thank you. I will bring some fusilli for the table just in case. Okay. Uh, just to try it. Sure, I'd love to try it. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you. Anyway, um, yeah, that was the most wonderful time. Wonderful time. I am so happy for Liz. She took a big swing, so I'm, I'm so proud of her. Me too, and tonally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was perfect. It was perfect. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, Margo was making us laugh because during the entire shoot, she would say, I'm just concerned about the tone. <laughs> Are we all on the same page with the tone? Because there were some cast members who were from Ireland. A lot of people, obviously Americans, had to come in, and she just wanted to make sure everyone was on the same page. I'm worried about the tone. <laughs> And then we find, like, third day three, she's like, I think we got a handle on the tone. <laughs> Elizabeth kept saying, don't worry. Don't worry about the tone. Don't worry about the tone. <laughs> I got it. But it was just, it was such a magical time. And also, we got to live in Ireland for a period of time. Margot lived in this tiny little house in Dalkey that was literally... Ten paces across the way from this Finnegan's pub. pub. Finnegan's Pub, the greatest. Good morning, Margo. <laughs> Good morning. You were like Norm at Cheers. Like everyone cheered when you walked in. And I arrived a few days after you. And I just remember like, wow, she's already established herself as a townsperson here at Dalkey. Everyone knows who she is. In Dalkey, Ireland. Dalkey, Ireland. Oh, Such my, a great time. Just the nicest people in the world. Yeah, it really was. It was a great time, and I'm so glad that we got that as our introduction to one another. And it, I just fell and in all love with I you. remember is uh, maybe the first day or something you doing one routine after another that I thought I was going to die. <laughs> what was I doing? Singing and dancing. Oh my god! I was probably just like <laughs> it was just trying it, to win was, you over. It was exquisitely fabulous. <laughs> And you did. I thought, I, I, I didn't know he could do all of that. Oh, my God. Just my trick, my bag of tricks. Bag of tricks is pretty damn full. Um, okay. I know we're in your neighborhood. Uh-huh. Tell me again when you moved to the Upper West Side. 1974. And um, the place that you're in now, I know you've been there for quite some time. Is that the place that you moved to when you first? No, I moved first to 73rd Street. Mm. And then I moved to where I live now in 1978. Right. And I've lived there ever since. That's so amazing. People are a little shocked when they see me sitting out in front of my building. Yeah. Because my building is a tenement, and uh, it is a walk-up. And 
It's where I grew up, yeah. really. I, mean, yeah. I spent all of my 20s in that apartment. I mean, it's astonishing to me that more than half your life you've, you've been in that space. Sometimes I think, how long can I climb those stairs? Yeah, because building code did not exist back then. Dangerous. Yeah, sure. I mean, you're such a, a Southerner to, to me, but yet you still have paid your dues as a New Yorker. You've lived here longer many than, decades. Way longer than Texas. Exactly. But you still have this, like, Southern charm about you that I just am so drawn to and I love. Um, thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Talk to me a little bit about finding theater in Texas and, and how you discovered, like, this passion for acting. There. Well, I— Jacksonville, Texas, right? Jacksonville, Texas. Very good. You know, I always— played in my backyard. I made to believe in my backyard. I had a great little playhouse. Had this little group of kids that were called the Alley Gang. That's the name of my company, (laughs) Alley Gang. And it was, you know, sometimes I had an orphanage and sometimes I was a beauty operator and I would cut all the kids in the neighborhood's hair. Amazing. And send them home to their parents and just screaming like, what? You would actually cut their hair? Oh yeah, cut their hair or do anything I wanted to them. Okay, wait, back up. You... (laughs) I thought this was all make-believe. No, you actually played beauty parlor, and you would cut their hair. Oh, yeah. I I discovered a new hairdo on Deborah K. White. (laughs) Then I could pull her hair up in a ponytail like this, and then cut the back of it, and then she could have a bubble. Okay. Or she'd take that part down, and she could have long hair. You gave her a versatile look. I was so ahead of my time. It's such a gift. (laughs) But the parents were like, please stop cutting our children's hair. Look at that. How old were you when you were doing this? Oh, in, you know, elementary school, I guess. No way. Yeah, elementary school. I put on Oklahoma. Now, I decided I wanted to play Curly, Ado Annie, Judd, and Will. Okay, so I let the the girl, Devin Dublin, next door, I let her play. uh, Ado Annie? Or Lori? Lori. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Who cared about that? So talk me through, like, what a production of Oklahoma in your backyard was. I had one of those little redwood picnic tables that were for children. Yes. And it was like a bleachers, you know, so I could stack them up like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd I'd make them all stand on that (laughs) and sing Oklahoma. (laughs) And at one time, it completely crashed. No. Yeah. And the only person that really did anything was me. Right. Well, you you took all the roles. I took all the roles. I let Devin stand out there and do a few... (laughs) A few lines. And I love it so much. (laughs) It's so great. Okay, here's a horrible story. Can I tell you this? Yes. Because I could get in trouble for it, but I could tell you. you, When the children in my orphanage didn't do what I wanted to. (laughs) Oh, wait, I forgot you had an orphanage. I had an orphanage, too. When they didn't do what I wanted them to, we had a dog pen and kennels in my backyard. Sounds like it was fancy, (laughs) but it wasn't. And I would put them in the dog pen, and sometimes I'd tie them up to the fence. Oh, no, no, my God. Oh, when they didn't, they, when they until didn't do they, Until they said that they they could come back to class. Oh, my God. In the so orphanage. Good. What were the things that they were f- refusing to do? Do you remember? No. This is beautiful. Isn't it gorgeous? Yeah. Thank you. Is this the crudo? Yeah. And this is what? That's a lobster situation. Wow. When I was young, I did... A Christmas pageant every every year. Please taste it. I did a Christmas pageant every year in my living room. Uh huh. And I grew up Catholic, so like I would do like the nativity scene, and I would enlist all my cousins to do it. 
my cousin Eric was always the mule in the nativity scene. He was annoyed because, like, my sister would ride on his back as Virgin Mary. <laughs> and um, I would make tickets for my parents and make them buy them from sure. me for, like, a dollar. I needed to make my nut, you know? It's, these things aren't free. And it always ended with the Christmas tree being lit up in the living room. Like, it was, like, you know, at, like at Rockefeller Center or something. So I would crawl behind the Christmas tree, and, like, at the right point in the music, I would plug it in, and the tree would light up. And that was the grand finale. That was much— Great production value, right? Very good. Well, one year, my, my siblings decided—it was—I started rehearsal around October, and I was a tyrant. They quit the production after, like, three days of rehearsal. And so I was like, fine. So I packed up the sets— <laughs> Stored them in my closet. You know, I like made sets out of like poster board and stuff. Yeah. And then Christmas break came along, you know, mid-December, and my siblings were bored. And so they were like, can we do the, the Christmas pageant again? I was like, okay, under some conditions. I made them sign contracts. <laughs> I wrote up contracts and made them sign them so that they wouldn't quit. And basically it was like the contract said, like, I won't quit. I don't listen to you. Right up my alley. See, I think we would have gotten along. <laughs> really up my alley. Uh, 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 I also made the children pull me down the alley in a wagon. <gasps> was it as a parade? As a parade. Just but Margo, we had the same childhood. But I was the only one in the parade. <laughs> and I had them fan me with mimosa palms. Uh-huh. As I came by. Like a queen. That is so funny. I would do, we did the same thing. We would tie like a wagon to a tricycle and like that. I would make like a long parade. Oh, it was so good. Oh, we were very so clever. Good. Did you have an alley or did you have a? I had about at back alleyway, but we would do the the parade would always happen on the street. Oh, I would actually manpower that with the, with a bike. I would. I was always the head of the parade, and then I'd put my siblings and and stuffed animals. <laughs> we'd put like we'd you know load up the stuffed you were the animals. Head, though. That's yeah, so I was funny. the head. I was doing a lot more work that I probably needed to be doing. You were smart enough to be like, you're going to pull me. You're going to pull me. <laughs> Giddy up. Uh, <laughs> so great. Dude, did your parents like think, okay, what are we going to do with this child? Like, was it obvious They that never even looked or cared. Hmm. What did your parents do? My father was a lumberman. My okay. mother was a homemaker. And when you decided to go to, you know, pursue the arts, well, you, you started acting. In high in, school. In high school. Okay. Yeah. Remember. I wore a body brace all during my teens. Yes, you had scoliosis. Yes. They think I had polio when I was three or two or something like that. But who knows? I can't verify it. Right, right, right. So I wore it 24 hours a day, Mm -hmm. 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. I got to take it off to go to school, and I put it on immediately when I got home Mm -hmm. from school. I was voted cheerleader in the ninth grade. I took the brace off, put on my outfit to try out for cheerleader. Yeah. Wasn't allowed to jump. Oh, gosh. So I just kicked my leg, and uh, I got cheerleader, and um, things sort of started to fall into place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I, when I was in high school, the choir teacher came to me. He said, you have a really loud voice. Why don't you come audition for the musical? So I did. What was the musical? Do you remember? Bye Bye Birdie. Oh, who'd you play? Rosie Alvarez. You know, and then I went and I taught drama Where in prison see? for criminally insane men. He might have told me a little bit about that. I this. was 16 and 17. When you were 16 and 17, you taught drama at a prison. from In a maximum security unit for criminally insane men. Okay, okay. I need to hear, <laughs> really break this down for me. All the kids would go to Rusk down the road, the county seat. Rusk is? Rusk, Texas. Okay. Uh, and... 
because it was where you could get a summer job. Great. Okay. And they took us into a, a room, and they all said, the guy got stood up and said, good, good afternoon, boys and girls. Now, I have a real surprise for you this summer. We're going to take volunteers to go behind the fence. Meaning the prison. In prison. And what did I do? I couldn't get my hand up fast enough. I thought the entire room would have their hand up. And I was the only one. Did you know that it was to teach drama? Or was oh, it? Oh, no, no. That's just something okay. I came okay. up okay. with. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Wow. You were the only one. I was the only one. And so once you volunteered to do that, were they like, what do you want to do? And you, tra- Basically, you chose Basically, I, I made puppets, paper mache puppets. And I taught a drama class and put on a play. Cast a play. I knew as much about theater as I as had learned. As a 16-year-old would from doing productions. That's what I'd learned yeah, from yeah. the two plays that I'd done. Yeah. Well, you had all that experience in your backyard, too. I did. I did. <laughs> I mean, you're a very confident person. Like, you walk into a room with authority. So I can only imagine that that's something you learned at the age of 16. Because I can't imagine a 16-year-old walking into that situation and not having... Remember, I had been wearing a cage... True. For yeah. all that time. Yeah. It made me have to become more than what you saw. Hmm. I remember a woman looking at me and going, I said, I'm fine. This isn't me. Right. But you were like, yeah, physically like in a piece of A piece of steel that, that and was this. And I wore prism you. glasses and mm. I uh, leather hips and, you know. Right. So this was a way of kind here, of breaking free. Bar- and then going to work in a in a wow. caged in prison. Wow. It was it was quite a, quite something, but wonderful, absolutely wonderful. But I wasn't afraid. Yeah. That didn't come from anywhere except stupidity. Mm-hmm. You know how dumb you are as a kid. You yeah. don't expect anything to happen to you. Well, yeah, you're. F- I mean, many kids are fearless, and you sounded like you were fearless. I was fearless, but I. I am full of fear now. <laughs> I know. Do you, can you imagine like going into that same situation now? No. Thank you. That was so good. So delicious. Now for a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, Margot and I talk about her odd jobs, including a stint as a private investigator. Okay, be right back. Don't you just love it when someone looks at you and says, Hmm, something's different about you. What were you up to last night? Well, no matter how late you were up the night before, Lumify Redness Reliever Eye Drops can help your eyes look more refreshed and awake than ever. Lumify dramatically reduces redness in just one minute to help your eyes look brighter and wider for up to eight hours. No wonder it has over 6,000 five-star reviews on Amazon. You won't believe your eyes, and you know you can trust them because they're made by the eye care experts at Bausch & Lohm, and they're backed by six clinical studies. Eye doctors trust them too. They're the number one recommended redness reliever eye drop. The one and only Lumify is an amazing drop that will have people saying, something's different about you, but in the best possible way. So check out LumifyEyes.com to learn more. It sounds a little weird, but being the host of a show like Dinners on Me, where you eat out all the time, can be a little stressful on the body. I first gave AG1 a try because I was feeling a little sluggish and I wanted to make sure I was getting the daily nutrients that I needed. Since drinking AG1 daily, 
I feel real difference with my energy levels and my ability to focus. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop also includes rhodiola and B vitamins for an energy boost. I just sort of added it to my morning routine. You know, you brush my teeth, I floss, I have my AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packets with your first purchase at drinkag1.com dinner. That's drinkag1.com slash dinner. Check it out. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. For a little context, Margot and I are chatting about her husband, Bill, who she's been with for 37 years. Now, because I know you met Bill about 10 years after you... I met Bill in, in 1981. Okay. And got married in... Like five years later? Uh-huh. Okay. Um, what were you doing before meeting Bill? Were you just like like looking for work? Like, I worked about in a, a place in an office called Telesession Conference Center. Hello, doctor. This is Margo at Telesession Conference Center. I'd like to talk to you about the management of mild to moderate essential hypertension. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, a, you know, drug reps. Yeah. And um, a lot of actors worked there. Okay. I did that. And then I got a job. I got my equity card in children's theater, written by David Mamet. Wait, David Mamet wrote a children's show? Mm-hmm. Called, um, called yeah, Fuck It? <laughs> called Binky Rudich and His Two-Speed Clock. Wow. I mean, to work with these people that have actually become pretty iconic in the industry, I mean, maybe you didn't know it at that time. Did you know that David Mamet was wildly talented? Or I did. Even I with did the ch- know who David Mamet was. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so he had already written other things about that. He had already okay, written gotcha. other things. Yeah. You meet Bill, you get married, and a year later, you do what I consider to be one of the most iconic plays in the canon of American plays, Steel Magnolias. Oh, dear. Yeah, That looks so good. You need to take a picture of this. Yeah. This is gorgeous. So tell me again what's in this. This is the... So red wine braised octopus. Oh, wow. Wow. Very decadent... uh, Tomato sauce and uh, house-made fusilli. It's gorgeous. A decadent maple sauce? No, no, tomato. tomato. Oh, tomato. Tomato, red wine. Mm. Mm, my God. That is so rich. Oh! There's layers of flavor in that. My God. That's great. Wow. Okay, so right after you get married, you start work on the play that some people might know, as Steel Magnolias, playing Truvy, which is an iconic play in itself um, and went on, obviously, to have quite a lifetime, you know, on, on you know, it's been remade several times. The movie was such a huge hit. Talk to me about what it was like. Did you know at that moment when you were working on it that it was going to be, it was the WPA, which is a very, very small theater downtown. I think where Little Shop of Horrors actually started it as is, well. It is, but not at that, not at right. that space. Okay. It was still on Fifth Avenue. Mm. And that's where um, Howard Ashman 
mm-hmm. who who wrote Little Shop of Horrors, yeah, and Little Mermaid and a lot of all that the that. Disney things. Yeah, he was there, and there were a lot of shows that came out of there before they moved to Twenty Third Street. Okay, yeah, we did it there, and I tried to quit several times. Why? Because the women were acting and treating me like a hairdresser. Which, ironically, you had been a very good one in your backyard I several had, years earlier. and I could really do hair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, I said, oh, fuck you all. I'm leaving, you know, basically. Yeah. And then I'd come crawling back, and I still thought, I don't know if this is good or not. And, you know, when you're Southern, you've heard all that stuff a lot. Right. Except Bobby did a great job with it. And I came with the play, so I'd kind of done all the backers' readings Okay. And all that, because I met Bobby Harling through our uh, commercial agent. Mm-hmm. And he was Co- the author. David Coakley, Bobby Har- Robert Harling's author. Right. When we got it, put it in front of an audience, we, we played it as a drama. Mm. We had no idea it was funny. Oh, yeah, it's very funny. So when we played it, it was so straight, and the audience went crazy. It was the biggest surprise I'd ever had in my life is that we had to hold for laughs. Yeah. And you weren't playing for laughs, but you were playing for laughs. At all. Which is key. Which is key. And I think so interesting because, I'm going to just fast forward a little bit, but I think, for, let's say Cocaine Bear, for example, like what was so great about your performance in that is you were not playing for laughs. You were playing it dead serious. And you know that's what I always say. Like if comedy is funniest when you're not playing for the laughs. But to learn that kind of by accident... In this production of Steel Magnolias. I looked at Connie Shulman and I went. Connie played. Connie played I now. Mm-hmm. And I looked at Connie and we just about died laughing because we had no idea. We're the only two Southerners in the show. Mm-hmm. And, and then it just blew up. That was a huge hit. Mm-hmm. And you stayed with almost every iteration of it until it like had its long run off-Broadway, right? It played, I think, three years off-Broadway. Right. I left in January because I was pregnant, and I was having a little mm-hmm. difficulty with my pregnancy, okay. so I left. And then I did the tour after Maggie was born. We right. all went on tour. Wow. This shrimp scampi is ridiculous. Is it really good? Is it super buttery? Super buttery. You want one of them? Bit? Yeah, take this one. The whole thing? Yeah. Oh, Mark. <laughs> I do love a scampi. Mm, it's really, really good. Oh, that's great. This is a winner. A okay. winner. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. What does it feel like to be part of such an iconic well, moment of the history of theater? A lot of people don't know that it was ever a play. They know that the movie was wildly popular. Wildly successful. And here's the thing that's funny. We would meet after the show closed at the WPA mm-hmm. for lunch for a month to try to think of a way that we could move the show. Mm. To Broadway? No, just to move it to a commercial run. Okay. And um, what we ended up doing is I had no money whatsoever, and Connie's family had some money. Bobby's family family had some money. And the rest of us put in a portion of money. And we, as a cast, moved that play. Are you serious? The cast 
the cast. Is responsible for like the longevity of that run. Cast is responsible for anybody seeing that play. That's remarkable. I mean, never, there have been a lot of people seeing the play. I don't mean that. I mean, sure, but it, it I had mean, a Lucille Ball and uh, Elizabeth Taylor and wait, these were the people that were coming to see that were com- that came to the WPA. Um, maybe they came to the Lucille Lortel. I can't remember. Right, so it ended up moving to the L- Lucille Lortel. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that Davis. is a result of of you all putting in your own personal money to move it. Wow. Then we had owned a piece of it till two thousand. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. It's a good story. Isn't it, it is a great story. I mean, that's that's really remarkable. Like, uh, I mean, what did it feel like to be a part of... I, I imagine at that time it was sort of one of the big hits of the New York theater scene. I guess so. I, you know, I, I don't... I mean, if Lucille Ball's coming, like, I'm just... You're, ta- you're talking about these people, the, these icons. Elizabeth are, Taylor. Elizabeth Taylor, like... They're not just coming because someone said, "Oh yeah, this thing's good." They're coming because it's a cultural thing. It's a moment. It's a moment, and people are curious. Did did the eyeball just come off your scampi and fall into your lap? Oh no, it's yeah, no. What, was it an eyeball? No, it was just a claw. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know what I mean. I feel like it, it was. It was a. It was a big thing. It was a big thing. But you know, did it feel that way? Look, no, of course not. I was. In it. I was working. During the WPA, I was working a day job. Okay. So you're working a day job in the day and then going to this uh-huh. play at night. Where was when that I at? did, I, I was doing, I was a, I, I was a spa consultant. <laughs> a spa consultant? Uh-huh. What, in like, like checking people into a spa? No, it was a, called Spa Finders. It was a place that had a catalog of spas. Okay. Anyway. So uh, spa finders during the day and then this play at and, night. And when I did Miss Firecracker Contest, which was at Manette Theater Club, mm-hmm. a hit play mm-hmm. before then in 84. Right. I was a private investigator during the day. Talk a little bit about what that meant. Like, what did that involve? Well, it was basically boring. <laughs> there was a lot of telephone work, a lot of spying on Which people. Were, yeah, okay. Pretending to be someone else on the phone. Right, just like pretending you're someone else and, and trying to get information. digging for information. Gotcha. Trying to verify stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, there was another branch of us that did counterfeit rings. Like, mostly fake purses. Okay. You know, those things like down in Chinatown. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. And so that you were you were meant to find the people that were selling these, and, and then what do you do once you found them? Break the ring. How, how did you, how's one I didn't do it. You, you Mostly alert the guys did that. Okay. Wayne Knight was one of them. Really? Oh my gosh. I mean, when they're just, the, you talk about stories, survival jobs, you really have like one... <laughs> The list of survival jobs. I have a, I have a, a lot of survival jobs. I really, you know, didn't make any money really for a long time. Right. Though I was kind of successful. You were successful and busy, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Can you pinpoint a job that felt like, okay, now I'm hitting a new stride or this is um, I think when break. I got hooked up with Robert Benton and Nobody's Fool, that mm-hmm. made me something. Doing The Firm, that was something. Mm-hmm. Doing Lorenzo's Oil, sure. that was something. And then... I did Sidney Lumet's series, 100 Center Street, for two years. Mm-hmm. And then I did Million Dollar Baby, and that sort of right. made the... And then I did Cat on a Hot Tin Roof on Broadway. Right, which and I was th- wanting to get to because uh, that was sort of like your return to your roots in theater. But ironically, your first time on Broadway. It was my first time and last time. I'm willing it into existence that you're going to be back on Broadway. That's my hope. 
<laughs> the world would not be a complete place if Margot Martindale has only done one show on Broadway. That's stupid. No one wants to live in that world. <laughs> has to be the right thing. I know. Of course it does. Of course it does. I mean, our dear mutual friend, Elizabeth Banks, I always remember her saying to me, slow and steady wins a race. And I truly feel like that has been your career. Yeah. I mean, you have always been working. And it's why, like, you know, something like your alter ego in BoJack Horseman is so brilliant. It's like, oh, I know her from something because she's been in everything, truly. What's great about my career is that I didn't get it all quickly. No. And so that when I got an Emmy at 60, mm-hmm. I could appreciate sure all of it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times when people get recognition right out, out of the gate, it, it makes it harder. I agree with you. I want to be slow and steady. I, I, that longevity for me is But you are because important. you're a, m- a miracle. You're, you're an onion that keeps getting peeled back. That's very sweet of you to say. And that's the truth. I mean, I mean, I had no idea who you were. Right, right. From watching Modern Family. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. But from seeing you and knowing you and all that, it's like, a whole new world. Yeah. And then seeing that you in the and take me out last year was just unbelievable. Oh, thank you. It was Thanks unbelievable. For to see that. I love that so I know. much. You're so sweet to come. You know, but 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 your career is one that I greatly admire and hope to emulate. I truly believe, you know, that you know, I like you do get very nervous when, for example, when something like Modern Family hit. It was wonderful to have that job security. It was a job I deeply cared about. But there is that you know sense of having to crawl out from underneath the character and reinvent yourself. And great success for someone who wants great longevity can sometimes be scary because then people only think of you as that one thing. It's, it's hard. It is very hard. Yeah. It's very hard. But I think you seem you to have, have evaded you, that, though. Because I never had that. I mean, you have. It's had what your, I always wanted. Did you? Oh, I wanted. I wanted a sitcom worse than anything. There's still time. Well, I had, I did have one. It lasted a year. <laughs> With Will Arnett, right? Will Arnett. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love, Love him. him. Love him. Such a great guy. So you talked about winning an Emmy at, at 60. And so being able to stand in front of your community and have them celebrate you when you won several Emmys, but what did that feel like? Was there any sort of like ability to sort of step back and look at how hard you would work to get to that place? No, I just, I don't think so. Slow and steady. So it never was overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Because here's the real truth. I always believed in myself. Mm, I love that. I always believed in myself, for whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, that's all you can really have if you choose to be in this business. If you don't have that, I think you're immediately screwed. Like, you have to have full belief in yourself. You have to believe that you can do all these things. That's the hard part. Yeah. And 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 losing out a million times. uh, Sure. Can I ask about Bill just a little bit? Yes. Um, So you guys have been married for 36 years? 37, I think. 37 now? I mean, that's a really remarkable run. And you guys seem... (laughs) Really happy together. We are. <laughs> I can tell. But is there something that you feel like is a secret to? Well, I think you have to give in. Uh-huh. Oh, this is for Justin. Did you hear that, Justin? What Justin, <laughs> give in. Just give in. <laughs> okay. I think uh, giving in is big. Yeah. And Meaning follow, not always having to be right. Not always having to be right. Yeah. How did you two meet? 
He was waiting tables in a restaurant on the Upper West Side, and my old boyfriend from college, University of Michigan, he introduced us because he was waiting tables there because I'd gotten him a job there. Gotcha. And what was your courtship like? It was a, a spotty. <laughs> I was going to Louisville half the time right, right, for right, the right. first three years, maybe. Yeah. So it wasn't like you met him and you're like, oh, I'm going to marry this person. Yes, it was exactly. Oh, really? I said that to him. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm going to marry you. He went. How soon in did you say that? The night I met him. No. At the at the restaurant. Oh, my God. He's like, this woman that I'm waiting. He at said my, she table 32 must be said she's gonna marry me. <laughs> well, he's not wrong. I mean, we was, love I your said, insanity. where are you from? He said. Texas. I said, oh. we're in Texas. He said, Frisco, Texas. I said, I'm going to marry you. Oh, <laughs> and you did. And I did. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I love that. And now for a quick break, but don't go away. When we come back, Margot and I talk about what it's like to play an exaggerated version of herself in the animated series BoJack Horseman. Okay, be right back. Support for today's episode comes from Hexclad. I hosted the Jane's Beard Awards, um, twice actually. I'm, I'm not bragging, I'm just telling the truth. And Hexclad is the official cookware of the James Beard Foundation. So I was so happy to hear their Dinners on Me sponsors. Hexclad has revolutionized the cookware industry with an all-in-one hybrid pan that gives you the convenience and cleanup of nonstick, the versatility of your grandma's cast iron, and the durability to last a lifetime. Whether you want to make that perfect steak dinner on date night or ditch that greasy pan from your college apartment, Hexclad has you covered. James Beard celebrates incredible chefs annually with their prestigious awards that I have had the privilege of handing out. Again, I'm not bragging, I'm just saying. And it's no surprise that Hexclad is their official cookware. They are a chef's dream and I, I just, I love cooking with them. I feel so professional when I do. Hexclad also has a lifetime warranty. These are literally the last set of pots and pans you will ever have to buy. Trust me when I say your partner, your family, and all your dinner guests will thank you. So, Chef, now is the time to upgrade that kitchen. For a limited time only, our listeners get 10% off their order with an exclusive link. Just head to hexclad.com slash JTF. Support our show and check them out at hexclad.com forward slash JTF. Bon appetit. Let's eat with Hexclad's revolutionary cookware. This episode of Dinners on Me is brought to you by BetterHelp. Okay, so listen, I was in my kitchen the other day, and I'm, I'm very particular about how I like things in the kitchen. I need things to be in a specific place. I like things to stay clean. So imagine my frustration when I saw that my husband, Justin, had left an empty can of cold brew and a wrapper from Protein Bar on the counter right next to the recycling bin. Why couldn't he just open the drawer with the, with the recycling bin in it and put it in there? This is something I need to get off my chest. Therapy is a very safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I mean, I've learned a lot from therapy and I have learned that, you know, I need to pick my battles. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can even switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com dinners today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash dinners. And we're back with more Dinners on Me. I, I just want to finish by asking a little bit, because like when, when we were doing Cocaine Bear and I was posting things about it, I was getting be like, oh my God, that's esteemed character actress Margot Martindale. And I wasn't aware of your alter ego and BoJack Horseman. So I started looking at it. Like what, talk to me about what that felt like for you to have, who was it? Um, my earring. <laughs> Got one in. But what was that phone call like? What has it been like for you to play that heightened version of yourself and to be known now? What is it, the um, esteemed character actress Margot Martindale? Yes. <laughs> well, it, it wasn't the phone call. It was uh, I, we're at rehearsal for the Millers at a table read. Right. And Will said, "Oh, you're going to come do my cartoon." I said, "No, I'm not." I was promoting August Osage County at uh-huh. the time, and trying to learn to do a multicam comedy. Sure. Giving all my all into that as well. And I said, well, I don't have time for that. And he said, oh, oh, yeah, no, you're going to. I said, I said, I'm not going to do that. And he said, the part is esteemed character actress Margot Martindale. Who else is going to do it? <laughs> I said, I, I guess I am. So it was already established in the show? They had already kind of written it? They had written it. Okay. Well, that's a that's one surefire way to get an actress to say yes. <laughs> no you know? kidding. So I did, and you know I'm happy I did. And it's I, ridiculous. I watched some of it. It is absolutely insane. It's very funny, Margot. People love it. Love it. Love it. And I have a whole world of fans that I wouldn't have had a whole world. I mean, there are no. fans that I would never that are younger. Yeah. From yeah. that show. Yeah. It definitely brought in a different demographic. I mean, it, it's it's really fun, and it's 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 got that was such Will. A, that was Will Arnett. Yeah. You need to go faster, Margot. Go <laughs> faster. I said, "Well, I'm not Will Arnett." <laughs> and he, you know, in that sitcom world, yeah. And Jimmy Burroughs, they're going. Oh, did would, Jimmy Burroughs direct it? All of it. Oh, he's well, he's the master. Master. I'd go. Well, I. Uh, 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 go back, honey. Yeah. Noah's. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Go back, honey. Oh, wow, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 go back, honey. That's so interesting that you had struggles with it, because I feel like as a theater actress, it, I mean, maybe it had been a while since you've done theater, but, like, there's such an um, overlap between multi-camera shows and theater. You don't think so? The very first TV show I did was a multi-camera show, and it, I had just come off of doing Spelling Bee on Broadway, and it just felt like this natural really? thing. Yeah, because you have but, the audience. But you're very facile. I have a thought process. Mm-hmm. I don't mean that you don't. I'm just right. saying that my thought process is slower. Okay. And so I, it's not like uh, it's not ever on the tongue, uh, tip of my tongue. Right. So it was just something I had to learn. Right, 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 right. You do have to really know your lines. Well, I and knew, I knew my you. fucking lines. <laughs> <laughs> I just wasn't ready to say them quickly yet. Um, 
but the, and also the thing that really stressed me out on the multi-camera sitcom. So you know, you're in front of the audience, and a joke doesn't land. The audience doesn't laugh. So the writers <laughs> come <laughs> in, <laughs> they surround you, and they start feeding you new lines, oh and they're like, "Repeat Lord. it back to us." And I'm like, "So you repeat it back to them?" And they're like, "Okay, let's go. Let's shoot it." And like all of a sudden, like this line that you're holding in your hands, like like water in your palm, like it's just the line that that's <laughs> dripping through your hands. Like, please let's shoot this fast before I completely lose what this line is. The pressure of that moment was so intense for me because a minute in James Burroughs, who was also the director of the class, every episode of the class that I did, you know, he's, and he directed Cheers, he directed Taxi, he directed Will and Grace, he started Friends, like he is an iconic sitcom director. If he, if he heard you starting to fumble, he would stop you because he didn't want you to spoil the joke for the audience. And that's why he would stop you. And it was really stressful. <laughs> was that why? Yeah, that's why he would stop you because he didn't want to, he didn't want the audience to hear he wanted the audience to hear the perfect version of that line to make sure that it worked for the writers. Wow! Did he never explain that to you? No. Yeah. Eh, no. Bah, bah. <laughs> did you not have a good time doing the multi camera? I loved it. You did love it. I loved, I loved learning it. Mm-hmm. I would have been happy doing it for three years. I would not have been happy doing it any longer than that. Yeah, I've never done a multi-camera longer than 19 episodes, but I mean, I, my, my friend, like Sean Hayes, a mutual friend of ours, you know, he loved doing Will and Grace. That was, and he did it for quite some time. Um, I, I mean, there's nothing like that marrying of like a live theater and TV. I thought it was just so much fun. Whether oh, or not it's gee. a format that still is, um, oh, oh my no. goodness. So What are we dealing with here? We have the Toscan Donuts, the Bomboloni with the uh, raspberry calamari sauce and the chocolate sauce. And here we have our version of the tiramisu. Oh boy, that's tiramisu. Oh wow, how pretty. Yes. Okay, oh that's nice. That is really good. It's like a, a tiramisu um, oh, wow. cloud. Isn't that mm. great? Mm. That's the fanciest tiramisu I've ever mm. had in my entire life. Oh my God! My Bill's cooking dinner. He is not cooking dinner. He said, "Well, I'll get you a piece of chicken, but uh, you don't have to eat it." How are you possibly going? What time is dinner at? Ten? Of that? course, I've had nice a nice amount of alcohol. <laughs> Just perfect. Oh, the the great thing about you and, and having a few drinks, you don't change at all. Like I feel like the minute I have a martini, I'm like, "Oh, there's a different Jesse in the room." Really? A little loopy. Thank you for doing this. I just adore I you. you. I love you. I love you. I love you so much. I know that I can be boring. I Are you it. kidding me? We the, the, Nothing you talked about was boring. <laughs> you were talking about like breaking up crime rings as like a day job. That's where we started. I wasn't expecting any of that. Let me tell you, your life is fascinating and full and vivid and I love hearing about all of it. I love you, honey. I love you too. Yay! Next time on Dinners on Me, you've seen him on Glee, Grey's Anatomy, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's Harry Shum Jr. We'll get into growing up and feeling like an outsider, being a backup dancer for icons like Madonna and Beyonce, and how being a dad has changed his life. And if you don't want to wait until next week to listen, you can download that episode right now by subscribing to Dinners on Me Plus. As a subscriber, you not only get access to new episodes one week early, you'll also be able to listen to them completely ad-free. 
Just click try free at the top of the Dinners on Me show page on Apple Podcasts to start your free trial today. Dinners on Me is a production of Neon Hum Media, Sony Music Entertainment, and A Kid Named Beckett Productions. It's hosted by yours truly. It's executive produced by me and Jonathan Hirsch. Our showrunner is Joanna Clay. Chloe Chobel is our associate producer. Sam Baer engineered this episode. Hans Dale She composed our theme music. Our head of production is Sammy Allison. Special thanks to Alexis Martinez and Justin Makita. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Join me next week. <laughs>